You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Good morning. I have shared with, many, with you many times before my love for cooking. I, I love cooking. I, I love it. But I'm not especially good at it. And uh, I'm not that free-flowing kind of cook, I always have to follow a recipe. And I get so caught up in every little detail of it, like the measurements have to be just right, and if the recipe says to do this, uh, I, I have to follow that. And I have a problem with a memory issue, and so I look at the instructions on the back of the box, I'm like, I got this. Throw away the box, I crack one egg, and then I'm like, what was the next step? And I open it up, and I pull it out of the, this is basically me, pull it out of the trash can, and now uh, everything I cook tastes like trash, because I've been in the trash can like six times, right? Um, and so this is me. Uh, I get so caught up in the rules and the regulations uh, of cooking, and I get so caught up in, in doing that the, the right way, and then I think of my grandma. All right, you're, you might have had a grandma just like this. Some of you are like, no, my grandma couldn't cook. And some of you are like, yeah, he's describing my grandma. Maybe we had the same grandma. I don't know. It, she was a sweet old lady, and she could cook anything. She could bake. Uh, when he'd come over to her house, there'd be these beautiful pies. She could cook anything that you asked. If you mentioned it, she could make it. And when I'd watch her cook, there was never any measurements. She never used measuring tools. She probably didn't even have any in the kitchen. She would just pour whatever she felt was about right. You know, that kind of cook that can just wing it, that can just do it uh, off the off feel. And just, they have enough experience and enough knowledge that they can just do this and it flows beautifully. Cooking for them just seems like an art form. It seems just smooth, it seems easy. When we look at our Christian walk, that's how Jesus paints the picture for us. He even says, uh, take up my yoke, my yoke is light, that it's meant to be easy to follow him. It's meant we, we put our faith in him, we put our trust in him, and he takes care of the rest by bringing us salvation, bringing us, uh, bringing, wiping our sins clean. That it's supposed to be easy, and yet and sometimes we get so caught up in the details, sometimes we get so caught up in rules and regulations that, that we miss out on this idea that, that it could be easy. Kind of like when I'm cooking. I get so caught up in reading the instructions that I miss out on the joy of what I'm making. Where grandma seemed like she just enjoyed it. She just, it, it was great, it was exciting, it, it was a joyful experience for her. And so for, for our Christian walk, there's this reality of following this set of rules and, and this almost idea of legalism, right? We got this legalism that, that legalism is, for, in our walk with God, few things are more destructive, more, more destructive, more deceptive, more seductive of our walk with Christ than legalism. is getting caught up in a bunch of rules and, and regulations that are limiting our walk with God. And so this morning, we're gonna look at that. And, and this morning, it, I, it's neat to look out here and see all these people. And, and it hit me this morning as I was driving by another church that they're worshiping God too. And we get so caught up in rules and regulations. It's neat to think that we're all worshiping here this morning together and we're going to get to celebrate a baptism together. And we're doing that with 100 people at home, 
right? Or, or I don't know how many, uh, someone asked me this week how many people are, are online viewers, and I said, well, in America, there's 300 million people that have access to it. So I'm kind of thinking our attendance this week is 300 million and 150. Um, and so, but I don't know how many people, but there's people watching right now. Um, I had, uh, my wife sent me a picture of my daughter, and I don't know, that are frantically trying to bring it up on the screen. I don't know if we, we, if we were able to. But it's neat to think that right now, in homes, people are worshiping with you. Right? Isn't that cool? And, and this is one of the neat things that COVID-19 has brought out, that, that in church even, we have this set of rules on how church is supposed to be done. And, and even that got thrown out. That now the, the rules don't seem to apply and, and there's people worshiping at home. There's people worshiping at their kitchen tables. There's people worshiping as my daughter is, I had a picture uh, of playing Play-Doh and my wife is watching service with you guys right now. It's kind of neat. And so this is what God's walk is supposed to be. This is what our walk with Christ is supposed to be. It's not a bunch of rules. It's not about this legalism. It's about having a relationship with him. And that's what the Pharisees missed out. If you have your Bibles, we're closing out on Mark chapter 2 this morning. Uh, feel free to open it to Mark chapter 2. We'll also have it up on the screen. And we're again looking at a confrontation with the Pharisees. This is the fifth and sixth confrontation the Pharisees have with Jesus in just by the second and third chapter of the book of Mark. And so we have this confrontation with the Pharisees, and now they're looking for something. They're looking to cause a fight. They're chasing him down. We're going to see they're chasing him down while he's just going on a walk with his friends. And they're trying to pick a fight with him, trying to find ways that they can see that he is wrong. And so we have this story on the Sabbath. The Jewish Sabbath was from sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday. It was, it was a reserved day, a day of, to spend time with God, a day to spend time with family. I think there's the picture. And so there's my little daughter. So that's uh, in the back left corner is Emily singing. This was from this morning. And there she is with Play-Doh. And my wife sent it to me because she knows I hate messes. And so now I'm like, oh, there's Play-Doh all over our living room. And so I'm kind of wigging out about it. But... Um, but this is what's worshiping with us. Isn't that cool? It used to be like everything was set in rules. And now we can worship and play Play-Doh. Thank you, COVID-19. There's one good thing. And so now, now we can do that. And so then instead of a bunch of rules, we have freedom. And the Pharisees were all about these rules. Even rules on the Sabbath. And so we pick up on the story in Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walking along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? See, the Pharisees, the, the rabbis, had these set of rules. It was actually a, an organized set of rules. You had the rules that Moses had passed down that God had given Moses long ago. About 600 of, of these guidelines for the people of God to live. But then the rabbis made all these extra rules. It's almost as if there was a fence that they were trying to put around to protect people from getting too close to the laws, 
to getting too close to breaking the rules, they put up extra rules, further rules. And so when they've been instructed not to, not to work on the Sabbath, the rabbis made all these extra rules. For example, how far you could walk. You could only walk 1,999 steps on the Sabbath. Surely the, the disciples in the middle of this grain field are going to end up walking more than that. The Pharisees are picking this, this point, which makes you wonder how the Pharisees get there. Just saying. They probably walk 2,000 steps too. But they're there pick-pointing that the, that the disciples are picking these grains and walking through. And so uh, in Deuteronomy 23, it says, When you enter your neighbor's stand, standing grain, you may pluck heads of grain with your hand. So they didn't break the rule there. It's okay for them to pick the grains, but they were saying is you couldn't use a sickle, you couldn't take a lot, take more than you wanted. But if you're walking through a neighbor's grain field, you could pick some and eat some. But they get caught up in Exodus 34. It says, you are to labor six days, but you must rest on the seventh day. You must even rest during plowing and harvesting times. So they're saying that these disciples that are just picking some heads of grain are harvesting are breaking these rules. They're making so many regulations and legalistic in their walk with God, making, up these, making these rules the most important thing. Not the relationship with God, but these rules of following God. I'm sure you guys have seen this. Maybe you've experienced it in your own life where there's people that get so caught up in the rules of what it means to be a Christian, that you don't dance, you don't cuss, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't uh, hang out with those that do, and those are the things that make you a good Christian. And if you don't do those things, then I'm a better Christian than you are. That we get caught up in these rules, and it becomes this judgmental idea. It becomes this comparison, which ends up actually hurting our relationship with God. As we get so caught up in our relationship, our walk with God isn't about a relationship. It's about what I do. Look at me. Look at what I avoid. Look how much I tithe. Look at these things that are, are positive. Look at these things that I'm not doing of the negative. And we think that that's our walk. Instead of our walk is in prayer. Our walk is in reading the Bible. Our walk is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so they see these disciples picking some heads of grain and they, and they think that they're breaking these rules. And, and so Jesus answers, have you never read what David did when he was with his companions were hungry and in need? In the day of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. So I love how he starts this. Have you not read... Like, to the Pharisees, they have this all memorized, all right? So obviously, they've read it. But have they applied it? Have they taken it to heart? Jesus is referring to a story we find in 1 Samuel chapter 21. David is on the run. Saul is out trying to kill him. And, and David is, is a fugitive. Everyone knows who David is. And if they find out that he's there, they would turn him in. Because if not, they're going to be executed if Saul finds out that you've been harboring the enemy. And so David is traveling just at night because during the day, people would see him and his band. And so he enters into this, into this temple long ago. And he goes in and he's desperate looking for something to eat. They've been on the run for a long time and he's hungry. He's broken. He's tired. And he goes in and the priest sees him there. And David says, do you have anything for us to eat? 
And then the priest says, the only food that I have is the showbread. It was this bread that was consecrated and it was, it was to represent the people of Israel. And it was these loaves of bread. We had looked at it last year, I believe. Um, and it's, it was a bread made in the shape of a U to represent where God and mankind met. And there were 12 loaves of this bread to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And so they would make this and the only people that were allowed to eat it were the priests. Normal, common people like David weren't allowed to eat this. And the priest would have been breaking the rules, would have been breaking the laws by giving it to David and his companions. But instead the priest sees this law from Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. And he feeds this to David. And so Jesus is pointing out, he points out that David didn't do anything wrong simply to eat. It wasn't anything wrong in eating the bread and it wasn't anything wrong. In, and so he's pointing out that his disciples are doing nothing wrong in eating on the Sabbath. They're not harvesting. They're not doing chores. They're eating. But the Pharisees get so caught up in the rules, so caught up in the laws, so caught up in the legalism. When we were missionaries in Taiwan, the organization we went with had a rule that uh, had many rules, and one of those was we could not go to a movie theater. This was an old rule from the, like the 1940s or 50s when the organization started, but here it is in the 2000s, and we could not go to a movie theater. We're with all the Taiwanese, and they wanted to go see a movie, and it was actually like a pretty clean movie, and we're like, nah, we, we can't go see it because of a rule. Now, there's no rules against the movies that we could watch in our house. There's no rule against the movies that we could watch in the privacy of our own home where I might be more tempted to watch something bad than I would if I'm out in public. But there's this rule because it's a perception. They didn't want to be perceived that the missionaries were connected with the worldly things like movie theaters. It didn't matter where our heart was. It mattered with how we were perceived on the outside what it looked like. And this is what the Pharisees were so caught up in. It's what the world thought of them, that they followed these set rules and they wouldn't pick grain on the Sabbath day. It didn't matter that they weren't having a walk with God. It didn't matter that the Son of God is standing in this grain field just a few feet from them. The Messiah, the one who would die on the cross for each of their sins, is standing before them. And all they care about is the rules. All they care about is what people would perceive. Are they breaking the rules? Are they following? Are they doing the right thing? So Jesus then says, in verse 27, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. To us, this statement might not seem like much, but to them, this statement would have been blasphemous. The Son of Man, Jesus, is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's saying, I am with God. I am equal to God. And I made the Sabbath. Long ago, when we look at Genesis, and God created the heavens and the earth, and on day seven, he rested. This was me. I rested. You're sitting here judging me in this, in this green field. Tell you what, I've made the Sabbath. Every Sabbath for all of time, I created that. And I created it for you created it so you would spend time with me. 
I created it so that we could be together. I created it so we could, you could rest, that you could get rejuvenated and start your week anew, ready and energized with life. I created it so that we could have a day where you and I could spin, that maybe the chaos of life gets in the way the rest of the week, but this one day, let's spend it together. I created this for you. And the Pharisees walk away. Chapter 3 says, Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. So now they're in a synagogue, and, and this man, he has a shriveled hand. And, and the point of pointing that out is, it's not a life-threatening illness. No one has died. It, it's, it's a crippled of effect. And this is an effect that I'm sure has brought him pain, probably great embarrassment. In the synagogue, you are instructed to raise your hands. And while everyone else's hand is raised, his would be like this. And so I'm sure it was great embarrassment. I'm sure it probably brought pain. It probably kept him from being able to perform certain things for his, for his work or, or things in life. And verse 2 says, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Do you catch that? They're looking to find something wrong with Jesus. And I love what they're looking to find something wrong is he cares about people. Like, that's the worst thing that he's going to do. Now we got him. He's going to love on that guy. Right? Like, ha ha! And so, they're great. The crippled guy's here. This will get Jesus. And so they're excited and they're watching the crippled guy and they're watching Jesus waiting for him to, to heal him. And so, they get so caught up in the legalism that it's the Sabbath, that they miss that this crippled guy who's suffering, who's in pain, who's embarrassed, whose life isn't lived to its fullest, could be healed. But they're caught up in the rules. They're so caught up in, in the rules that they miss out on the ministry that could be done. I see this, that we do this all, all the time as, as Christians. We get caught up in our Christian circles about, about how things are done instead of the why things are done. Then we get caught up in Bible translations that I like this Bible translation and, and the people that read this one are bad or, or vice versa. Instead of looking at the fact everyone's reading God's word, shouldn't that be all that matters? Not what translation we, we read. Or we get caught up in denominations. That this denomination is better than this denomination, better than this one down the street. Instead of realizing all of these churches are full of people pursuing God. Or maybe something that hits home with me, we get caught up sometimes in worship songs. Songs that maybe we don't like or, or, or ones we, we just don't care for. And we, instead of missing that, people are worshiping God. This morning, uh, as I was finishing this up, that, that song idea came to me, and I just typed that in real quick, because there's one song that I can't stand, right? I'm not going to tell you guys which one, but it's awful. Oh, sorry, it's awful. And so there's a song. No, it's not that awful, but uh, the, for a particular reason, I can't stand it. And, and every time it comes on the radio, I change the channel. Whenever it comes into a, a, like a playing feed, I, I skip that one. And it hit me that I can't stand this song. But I never stop and think, how many people are drawing closer to God because of this song? I get caught up in the how instead of the why behind that song. 
and you're not going to believe this, but something very funny. I got in my car at the Blue House this morning just to drive over to the the church here, right? I don't normally listen to the radio, but the radio was on. And what song was playing? This exact song. And I was like, all right, God, you got me. (laughs) And so I left it on. It's a short drive. And I left it on. and, And for that 10 seconds that I was listening to it on this drive, and it just hit me. I was like, yeah. God, I get so caught up that I miss the fact that people are worshiping. I miss the fact of what the song is about. About that we have a good, good father. Little hint there, <laughs> what song it is. And, and, I, and I miss that fact. And I just change it instead. So we get caught up in the how instead of the why. Jesus is the why. So it continues, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. Jesus sets them up. If they say to do good, then obviously he could heal them and he's not doing anything bad. If they say to do evil, then the Pharisees, why would the Pharisees be like, oh, it's better to do evil, right? And so they're kind of stuck and they remain silent. And the silence is deafening. As we work our way through Mark, we're going to see time and again the Pharisees are caught in silence. And I just wish, I just want to go and, and stand alongside them and, and tell them, in this moment where, you're, where you've been beaten, where you're caught off guard, let go of the pride and listen to Jesus. Because each time they're caught in the silence, Jesus comes and he heals Jesus comes and he teaches. He reveals who he is. And we get caught some here in our silence where, we, where we're pursuing our own ways and, and it just doesn't work and it doesn't work and we finally are at a point where we give up and we're stuck and we don't have any answers. Is that when we finally will listen to Jesus? Or is that when we make the excuses? So often I think the Pharisees just made excuses at those moments. Instead of realizing The Messiah is here with them. And so he looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. I love both those parts because he looked at them in anger. He's frustrated with them. How could you not care about this crippled man? How do you care more about the laws and the rules and these regulations that you've made and put on the people than caring about the livelihood of this man and his crippled hand? But I also love that it mentions his anger and he's deeply distressed. Even though he's angry, he has compassion for them, for their cold hearts. He just wants the best for even the Pharisees. We talked last week about the tax collectors and the Pharisees. Jesus could have sent the Pharisees away from that dinner last week, and he didn't, because he wanted them all there. He cares about them all. But it continues, verse 5, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed and their stubborn hearts and said to the men, stretch out, stretch, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Jesus heals the individual. I love though in verse 3, it tells him to step forward. Jesus doesn't force himself upon the man. The man steps forward and he's healed. It's a great illustration for us. Jesus isn't going to force himself upon us. We need to come to him. We need to come with an open heart, to come with our wounds, to come with the things that need healed, but come to him. 
and he'll take care of us. He'll heal us. And when he heals, it says his hand was restored. I love that too. That when he heals, he restores. When, when he takes away our hurt, he often brings joy. When he takes away, when we're not just broken, he doesn't just mend us, he restores us and makes us fit for service for him. When he saves us, he doesn't just save us from our sins now, he saves us from our sins for eternity. Jesus does so much more than we could have ever imagined. So the story concludes, and the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The Herodians and the Pharisees are, are enemies. They, they both want to see two different political avenues, and so they don't get along. They're two different Jewish sects, and they don't get along, and, and so they have always fought. They've always conflicted, except for now they finally found a common enemy, right? And so on the Sabbath, they go and plot the murder of Jesus because Jesus healed a guy. Just saying. All right? So I don't think the Pharisees are all on board on this Sabbath thing either. But they go and they make this plot to kill Jesus, to destroy him. So as we look at these stories, what, what do we see? What do we, what do we learn as believers what do we, what can we take from this? I think there's a several things. One is the Pharisees are more concerned with keeping these rules and regulations than they are with meeting human needs. Is that the case with us? There's people around you that might not be the right type of person, that might not be clean, that might not smell nice, that might not be this or that. We get so caught up doing the right thing that we miss doing ministry. We miss loving. We miss being Jesus to them. We miss those things. And as we see, the Pharisees are in this, in this death spiral. They just get angrier and angrier and their hearts become more hardened. And, and as I look at this, I, I say I want to make sure that the, those moments of silence, those moments where I come to my end, I opening my heart to God the Pharisees just kept getting harder am I willing to come to the Lord because remember we talked about it's not that hard to follow Jesus Matthew 11 20 29 says take my yoke upon you Jesus says take my yoke upon you and you will learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light this morning I pray that we could take on that easy yoke to realize this relationship with God isn't just rules that we're supposed to follow but a walk with him and in light and in doing so maybe we could go and love on the crippled man on the person that needs love on the tax collectors instead of judging them from a distance like the Pharisees. If you'll pray with me. God, we just pray that we could be more like you. That Jesus, we could follow your example in, in love. God, that we could follow your example and, and care for, for others. God, I pray that we would stop getting so caught up in, in rules and and regulations that cause us to fight as among Christians 
but get caught up in you. Get caught up in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we would be able to find you. God, that we would be able to pursue you. Lord, if there's someone here that needs to accept you for the first time, lead them to do so. There's people here that have accepted you long ago, but need to relight that fire and pursue you. God, let this be the day that the fire is ignited. We lift this up in your name. Amen.